So would you guys just join me uh, in praying and inviting the Lord in this morning? Lord Jesus, once again, we come and invite you. Everything we have said and done thus far, God, we pray as to your glory and honor. Everything that is said and done from now on, we pray as to your glory and honor. Would you come and just speak to your people, God? May they hear your voice this morning. May I decrease and you increase. May your people meet with the living King this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we had spent the last year plus going through the book of Mark, and now uh, last week, this week, and next week, we're kind of just doing a little bit of a recap, uh, not like preaching through the book again or, or, or even really using Mark much, but just trying to focus in on what we're to take from the life of Jesus. We spent a year plus looking at how Jesus walked, how he talked, what he taught, how he loved, all the way to the cross and beyond. So I want to just make sure that we don't miss the main points of what Jesus was here to teach. Uh, you see up here on the screen, the kingdom of God. That is our focus over the next few weeks because that, if you had to kind of boil down what was it that Jesus taught? What was it that Jesus was coming to do? What was it that Jesus would always say everywhere he went and it all revolved around the kingdom of God? Every teaching he had was an illustration of the kingdom of God. Most of his parables, if you remember last week, we looked at like a dozen of them. What did they all start with? The kingdom of God is like, or, or sometimes it would say the kingdom of heaven, same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. And he would go from place to place, and he, it would say preaching the good news of the kingdom. This was everything he did. When he would do miracles, he was going, look, that's the kingdom on earth. Everything revolved around the kingdom. And it's so crucial that we understand the kingdom of God. It's absolutely vital if we're going to become the people of God. We have to understand what is the kingdom of God if we're going to become the people of God. Because everything Jesus did revolved around that. That was his message. That was his purpose he would come into places and he would go, now that I'm here, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the kingdom of God. It all circled around that. And if we don't grasp this idea of the kingdom of God, we will miss what it is that Jesus came to usher in, to introduce, to invite people into. We'll miss the point of it all. And the kingdom of God, for some reason, is very hazy for people. It's not something that most people can give a pretty clear definition of. It's something Jesus wouldn't stop talking about. It's something we find the Apostle Paul going and preaching the kingdom of God. But it's something that at least most American Christians, if you ask them, what is the kingdom of God? We go, uh, uh, what's well, kind of like, uh, uh, and we really, really struggle. And so it's weird that something so pivotal for the life and teaching of Jesus is so kind of foggy for many of us. So uh, I started asking just kingdom questions. Some, some of the questions we learned in school, like what, who, when, how, why. I, I want to really kind of start to pen in the kingdom of God because until it's kind of like crystal clear for us, we're never really going to be able to grab hold of it. We're never really going to be able to be a part of it like we're called to be. Does that make sense? So last week, we were asking the question, what is the kingdom of God? 
And these are the definitions that I'm going to give, they're simply just my definitions. If they're helpful to you, latch on. If not, if you've read another one somewhere else that's more helpful to you, use that one. The point is to have a clear goal that we're aiming for. And so the kingdom of God, simply put, is this. Everywhere the will of the king is done. Everywhere on earth where the king's will is obeyed and lived out, that's where the kingdom of God is. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's all about the king has authority, and whatever the king's will is, I live it out. That's the kingdom of God. Very, very simply put. Everywhere the will of the king is done. One of the things that we talk about a lot in this church is kingdom life. We keep using that phrase, and here's how we defined that last week. Kingdom life. Citizens of the kingdom in love with the king, living and loving like the king through the power of the king. Let me ask you a question here real quick. Who's the hero of that story? The king. The king. The kingdom is all about the king. It's us becoming like him, doing the things that he did through the power that he put in us. It's the king's story. It's about us living out the will of the king, citizens of the kingdom in love with the king, living and loving like the king through the power of the king. I hope I say that to the point where you want to throw up when you hear it, because that probably means you're just starting to get it. That's how most of us work. I, I hope that this kind of just becomes ingrained, part of the culture of the church, that, that maybe we don't quote it perfectly, but there's pieces of it that just come back. Why am I so tired lately? I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to do everything God wants. Why? Oh, wait, I'm doing it my own power. This is supposed to be through the power of the king. You know, these kinds of things, they can just help focus us back in. So last week, we discussed a lot of this. What is the kingdom of God? The question I want to ask this time is who? Who is the kingdom of God for? Who is invited into the kingdom of God? Who is to be living out the kingdom of God? So before I go into my answer there, let me ask this question. How many of you... I know my age, it was pretty common, at least where I grew up, younger, I'm not sure, older probably. How many of you grew up going to the skating rink? Yeah, that was kind of like where the cool kids hung out, at least when I was in school. It was the early 90s, and it was a very different time. Some of the young kids are like, the what? But the skating rink was the place to be. If you wanted to show off your skills, that's where you went. You wanted to take you know, your middle school girlfriend on a date, that's where you went. Your parents would drop you off in the front and you had like the whole, that place was yours. It was an awesome place. But if you were like me, you weren't super good at skating. Like I was kind of the one where it was, a, it was an oval, but I made it a square wall. And then I get started again, hit the wall. Turning was super duper hard. But there was these people that made it look really, really good. But when I would go to the skating rink, there was two times that I always kind of hated. That was a couple skate. They'd turn the lights down real low and they'd start playing, you know, whatever uh, like love music was on the radio at the time. And they would say, everybody off the rink, this one's a couple skate. And if you came with somebody, you'd kind of take their arm and you'd do this weird slow dance skate thing around the oval. I was always on the outside just looking in because believe it or not, I never had a date to the skating rink. Wait, why do I hear chuckles? That's a little hurtful. But so that time was always like, you know, on the outside looking in. The worst time for me was I was talking with Kim and I couldn't remember what they'd call it, but essentially what it was was if skating is your life, 
if you can skate backwards and do the tricks, this song is for you. And so everybody would leave because you would get hurt. Because the people were out there that were like doing figure eights and like jumping and twirling and skating backwards and doing the thing where they, where their legs like do this as they're, you know what I'm talking about? I hated those people. But like, but I was always on the outside just watching going, <sighs> waiting for this magical time when all the lights would come up, the music would get loud and they would say, this one is an all skate. It's my time. I can finally join in. Here's the thing. Who is the kingdom of God for? The kingdom of God, kingdom life, is an all skate. For far too long, it's been treated like it's just for those special ones who can do all the tricks. And the rest of us are kind of on the outside looking in. And it's kind of mysterious. We don't, we don't know if I belong or not, if I go out there. What if I look silly? What if I hurt myself? I'll just kind of like, I'll stay on the outside and watch the professionals do it. Kingdom life is an all skate. Every believer is invited, in fact, called, equipped, commanded to get out there and skate. No one goes, oh, but Lord, I'm just not good enough. He goes, nope, that's not how this works. But Lord, I didn't bring a date. I can't go out there alone. Nope, not how this works. Kingdom life's an all skate. Every single believer is invited called, equipped, commanded to get out there and skate. Now, let me be quick, or let me uh, be clear here real quick. I use the term believer there. I try not to use that word very often because it's kind of been co-opted by the world. I try not to use words like Christian or believer too much because we don't really know what those mean anymore. Uh, they're kind of unclear. So let me define that word believer real quick. Those who wake up every day going, Jesus, I want to follow you today. A believer has kind of been co-opted by the world to mean like somebody who believes something in their head, somebody who believes some information. And that is not what it is to be a follower of Christ. To be a believer, as the scripture uses the term, to be a Christian, as the scripture uses the term, is someone that goes, Jesus, you're my king, and whatever you say, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna follow you, just like Jesus told his disciples. I'm gonna be like you. I'm gonna do the things that you did in love with the king, living and loving like the king through the power of the king. So when you hear that word believer, don't just think like, oh yeah, I've heard Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Like, okay, cool. What we're called to be is the people who are actually lacing up the skates and getting out onto the rink. If that's where the king is, that's where I'm going. If that's what the king has called me to, that's where I'm gonna be. Living out this kingdom life. And it's for every single person. It's not optional. It's not for extra credit. It's not for super Christians. It's not like once you get good enough, you know, and you're not gonna hurt yourself or make a fool of yourself, now go ahead out. Like, it is for every person who calls Christ Lord. Every person who is a follower of Jesus is any way you wanna look at it, invited in, called to join, has been equipped with the Holy Spirit to live out kingdom life, and has been commanded by the king Get out there and skate. When, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them this. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. That's what it means if you know the King James where it says, hallowed be your name. That's what it means. Your name be lifted up, honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was the model that Jesus taught his disciples and then told them, now go teach everybody else to pray that way too. 
And sometimes I've heard people talk about, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as heaven. And they use it in this kind of abstract way, like your kingdom come somewhere, Lord. Your will be done somewhere through some people, Lord. But what Jesus was teaching them was, for Peter would pray this and he would go, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in me specifically, through me specifically. And he would teach his disciples, this isn't like we're praying for those people that they would do the king's will every day that they would wake up and go, your kingdom come, your will be done through me. May I live out your kingdom, specifically me today. One of the things that has muddied this idea of kingdom life being an all skate is throughout church history, uh, there was this wicked little thing that happened somewhere around the dark ages where these two words were created, clergy and laity. Uh, If you were at the annual meeting, I spoke on this a little bit, so you'll hear it twice. There was this idea of clergy and laity. Clergy meant professionals, the the ones who who work for the church, who who are paid by the church to do the work of the church. And and so that would be pastors, or uh, uh, it came from the Catholic church, and so there was bishops and priests and all of this stuff, but it was the professional Christians. And then there was this other term created called laity, Again, I said this at the annual meeting, and I I try not to ever slap people's hands, but if I ever hear you refer to yourself as a lay person, I I may just kind of go, ah, could we pick a different word there? Uh, Because the word laity comes from Latin, and it actually means dumb. No joke. It means illiterate, not smart, uneducated. Because at the time, the only people that could really read worked for the church, and most of the common people were farmers, whatever, couldn't read. And so this label was put on them, the, the illiterate. There's the clergy, the, the paid professional Christians, and the illiterate that would come in. What was it the job of the illiterate to do? <laughs> Keep the money rolling in. Show up for services, put it in the offering plate. That legitimately was the extent of what was expected from laity because they're dumb. They don't even know how to read. They're uneducated. What can you really expect from them? And so for over a thousand years, this kind of mindset has been in the church of there's the professional Christians, the ones like the true kingdom workers, and then there's the laity. Our job is to show up for some church programs, to put money in the offering plate, and if somebody asks us to do a specific task, yeah, we'll show up and we'll do it. But that's kind of been the extent of what's been expected for about a thousand years. And with that, most people have bought into, that's really, that's what I'm here for. That's my, like, uh, that's what I put into the kingdom, is I show up and I give money. And then I'll ask questions of, hey, how come the church isn't doing this? How come the church isn't doing that? And there's always, when people talk about things like that, there's always this separation. I'm over here. How come the church isn't doing that? And here's the thing. I'm not, again, slapping hands. This is something that has been taught to you from the church for years and years and years. I don't mean Mark. I mean just in church culture for like a thousand years. And it's time that we put it aside. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom. We're told over and over again by God, there's no favoritism in the kingdom. 
We are all called to participate in kingdom life. Every single one of us. Here is the job description for the clergy, for the church leaders, whether paid or unpaid. Back in Ephesians, Paul says this, Ephesians 4, And he, being Jesus, personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, leaders in the church, listen to the job description, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Why did God create church leaders? To do the work of the kingdom, right? What does it say? To train up the body, the laity, everyone else, to train up those that are untrained to do the work of the kingdom. So according to this passage, I am paid by the church, you are not. Who is called to do kingdom work? Every one of us. Our role is different, but my job is to train you to do the work of the kingdom. Not to do it for you, which again has kind of been the model set up, but that each and every one of us has a role to play. We're all called to live out the kingdom. Is this making sense, church? Kingdom life is an all-skate. That's just captured me. You guys may be like, that's dumb. Stop saying it. That's okay. But for me, like, lace up your skates and get out on the ring. Stop sitting there on that little weird half wall watching the professionals like, man, they're so good. I could never. You're being called out. It's an all-skate. Are you going to fall down? Yeah. You're going to get those weird ankle blisters from the skates that are made of, like, plastic? Probably. You'll get better. You'll learn. Get out there and skate. Every single one of us, every believer, invited, called, equipped, commanded to lace up our skates and get out on the rink. Uh, next question we're going to tackle today, and this is, this is a weird question. When is the kingdom of God? I, I get, it's a weird question. I couldn't come up with a better way to word it. I'm going to give you two ways that people approach this, two questions that I hear or kind of discern as people are talking. Some are truly asking for a date. Because some people think that the kingdom of God is kind of code for heaven one day. All the stuff that Jesus was talking about, he's going, one day you're going to go into the kingdom of God, like when it's fully realized and everything's going to be perfect and, and the king is going to be in our presence and all of this. And I say, yes and amen. But nowhere do you find Jesus saying, the kingdom of God comes when you die. Many people, that's what they do. They go, yeah, I need to believe in Jesus. And then I'm basically just waiting it out. And then one day I'm going to die and the kingdom begins. But what Jesus kept teaching is that when he came and put a baby foot on earth, he said, the kingdom is near. It's at hand. It's almost in your presence. And when the stone rolled away and he rose from the grave, he said, it's here. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is happening right now, here, today. Some people are waiting for the kingdom of God and, and actually, you find that in the New Testament. People who would meet Jesus and it said that they had been waiting for the kingdom of God, that's because it wasn't here yet. But now, since the resurrection, the kingdom of God is happening all around us every single day. So, so some people are asking when, going, hey, when does it really start? It started about 2,000 years ago. We're a little late to the game. The kingdom of God is about here and now. Jesus came to introduce it and to usher it in. And now it's happening in our midst. We are in the presence 
of the king, if we're followers of the king, and his kingdom is being lived out through us. Let me ask another way, some other questions to kind of help maybe flesh this out. When is the kingdom of God? I think when some people think about this, they're almost saying the question, what counts as the kingdom of God? Like what in my life is God really interested in and what's just my time? You know what I mean? Like we, we, you'll hear the term Sunday morning Christians, you know, because there's that thing of like, okay, certain things matter to him and then certain things Again, I'm just waiting till next Sunday till God's paying attention again or something like that. Let me ask this question. When we think about kingdom work, what naturally comes to mind? We've been defining the kingdom. We've been saying God's inviting us in to live out the kingdom. Let's talk practically a little bit. When we talk about this, this idea of kingdom work, what naturally comes to mind? What counts as kingdom work? David? Okay. So kind of just this big umbrella of whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, okay? Loving others well. Okay, so like in our relationships, that counts. Sure. Okay. What else? What counts? What, what do we naturally think of when we hear kingdom work? Yeah, so uh, the two things that he mentioned, they're kind of two bigger categories that people tend to uh, think of. One is preaching the gospel. Like, uh, that's kind of the crown jewel of kingdom work, right? That's kind of the most important thing is preaching the gospel to someone. And others would say, no, no, really what it is, is social justice. Living out, like, the kingdom, here's the thing. Like, you read the scriptures, you read what Jesus taught. The kingdom is all about justice, Speaking up for the poor, the, the father, the widowless, the orphans, those that can't speak for themselves. This is a huge component to the kingdom. It is this living out this idea of kingdom justice. That, that's a big deal in God's kingdom. And so there's almost become an argument between the two. No, this is more important in the kingdom. No, this is more important in the kingdom. What else? What's kingdom work? Okay. Serving with the gifts that you have. Kind of, I said before, like God has called and even equipped each of us. He's given us different equipping, different gifts, different tools, but we're all called to use those gifts to serve in the kingdom. That's good. What else? To, to paraphrase what she said, because I don't have the quote right in front of me, but there's not a single square inch of life that Jesus has not cried mine. You know, the, the, the boiling it down a little bit. Every square inch of life. Let, let me ask, twist this question a little bit. 
is there anything that isn't kingdom work? Is, is there any part of your life where God's kind of not interested? We're thinking. I like it. It's kidding. I don't think it's that God's not interested. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some places if we really get down to it. God's interested. We're not that interested. We're busy just biding time, waiting this through. There, there's a, let me share with you a, a parable that Jesus taught. We actually looked at it last week, uh, but didn't really get into it. It's the shortest parable that Jesus teaches. It's one verse long. And for a lot of people, it's one of the most confusing parables that Jesus teaches. And it's this, Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it. And then he moves on and he goes and tells another, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like, and there was a lot of people probably going, what? What? Wait, that doesn't really help us, Jesus. Like, what, what are you talking about? The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a lady puts in flour and it works through. Anyway, on to the next thing. And there was a lot of people probably scratching their heads, like many of us today can scratch our heads but here's the thing that we have to understand. Yeast back there was a very important substance to them. Uh, yeast was considered this kind of wild, uncontrollable thing. We think of yeast and it comes in a little packet. You cut it open, you put it in hot water, and you make some bread. They didn't have that, believe it or not. Yeast for them was this incredibly wild thing that once, it, once you touched it, it got on everything. It was on your clothes, and then it was getting into your foods, and it was they didn't have you know some of the cleaning habits that we do and that. So, I mean, once yeast got in, it was everywhere. And actually, in most of the Old Testament, they're always told to be careful of yeast. And in a lot of their uh, festivals and stuff, they were told, get all the yeast out of the camp. And they would make unleavened breads and flatbreads and things as a part of their festivals because yeast kind of symbolized this dangerous thing. And once it got in, it kind of infected everything. Jesus, even in another teaching, he's talking to his disciples and he kind of pulls them aside and he goes, hey, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And they, of course, miss it, and they're like, oh, no, he's mad we didn't bring enough bread. Like, but what Jesus was saying was the, the ideas the Pharisees are putting out there, once they take hold, they begin to kind of fester and to spread. And so yeast was typically this thing of, hey, be careful. It infects other things. But now Jesus is twisting it, and he goes, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And they immediately would have gone, uh, I don't think he meant that. Maybe it's the flower, maybe it's the woman, but like yeast is a bad thing, Jesus. He says it's like yeast that this woman put into the flower and it works its way all the way through. Jesus was saying, once the kingdom gets into a heart, there is no part of life left untouched. There is no part of the dough that the yeast kind of went, eh, I don't really care about that and worked around it. Every inch of this dough Everything is transformed. Here's what yeast does. It transforms what it touches. You can't ever go and take the yeast out again. Whatever the yeast touches is forever different. And Jesus said it worked through all the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like this unstoppable, multiplying force that won't stop until it touches every part of life. Kingdom life is whole life. There is no part of your life that the king is not interested in. 
There is no part of your life that the king doesn't want dominion and authority over. There's no part of your life the king doesn't want to transform. There's no part of your life the king does not want to use for his glory and the advancement of the kingdom. Kingdom life is whole life. The kingdom of God is like yeast. It transforms every bit of life until nothing is like it was before. The issue that we have with this, practically speaking, many of us know this in our head, but if someone was actually to watch our week, they would find that we have compartmentalized. We would say there are certain things that God cares about. Practically speaking, that's how we live. And there are certain things that are just mine. The, the kind of most extreme of this is the people who go Sunday mornings. I got to show up to church. That's what good Christians do. That's what God cares about. And then I leave, and some people actually think this way. God kind of stays in his house, the church, and just waiting around for me to come back next Sunday. So Monday through Saturday, that's my time. I mean, yeah, don't murder anyone, don't lie or steal, some of the big ones. But for the most part, God's just waiting for Sunday morning again. Most of us in here hopefully know that that's not what it's like, but we still differentiate we, we have this divide, again, that's been created by the church years ago, and it's, it's still in our thinking, and it's this sacred-secular divide. This idea that there are certain things that are sacred that, that God really cares about, and there are certain things that are secular. Those are just worldly. We, uh, we think about this a lot with, like, music. There's, like, Christian music, worship music, and then there's secular music. There's Christian books, and there's secular books. There's Christian movies, and there's secular movies. So in a lot of entertainment and those kind of things, you hear these words a lot, but many of us bring it into our lives in other ways and we go, yeah, 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 when I go to church, when I read my Bible in the morning, when I uh, pray with my kids before bed, those are sacred times. God's like there and he's paying attention and we're connecting. But my job, I'm just there to get a paycheck. I'm just there to make it through. I don't even like it. Retirement happens in not too long, or maybe it's too far off, whatever it is. But God doesn't really care much about that. I've, I've heard this from people. Maybe if I did something important, if I was a missionary, if I was a pastor, maybe then God would care about my work. But I'm just an electrician. I'm just a plumber. I'm just a nurse. I'm just a whatever. Does God really care as much? Is what I do as valuable as what you do? And the answer is yes. I would even say what you do is more valuable than what I do. What I do has a role to play in the kingdom, to train you to do kingdom work. What you do is then going and putting it on display. Everywhere you live, work, and play. That is what we're called to be about. Every waking moment is valuable to the king. Every waking moment is there for the king's use, for the king's glory to live in love like the king, in the power of the king. Your job, your relationships, the way that you raise your kids, when you're having dinner and no one else is around, that's kingdom work. The attitude you have while cleaning up that mess that the kids made again, that's kingdom work. The attitude you have when work gave you that ridiculous assignment that who's even gonna see this, what am I even doing? That's kingdom work. The way we drive, kingdom work, our relationship with food, kingdom life. Like yeast working its way through dough to infect and transform every single area of life. There is no sacred and secular. He cares about this. He doesn't about that. Every single moment of your life to be offered to the king 
going, what, who are you calling me to love? How are you calling me to live now? What if I have a job where I work in a cubicle and I don't even get to see other people? How can I be a light then? <clears throat> Scripture talks a lot about our Father who sees what is done in secret and will use it. There is no part of your life where the king doesn't desire to be present and doesn't want to use. There is no sacred and secular. It's all sacred to him. If you would have gone to Jesus back when he was walking on earth and you would have gone, Jesus, tell me about your spiritual life. He would have looked at you like you were insane. What are you talking about? They had no concept of secular and sacred. Your spiritual life. I mean like, you know, your Bible time. And the time that you pray, he would have been like, every single part of life is spiritual. And the scripture speaks to every part of life. And we, we bring the scriptures and, and God's moving into every part of our life. It would have been completely insane to him to think of it as like mine and God's. Or like there's, there's this divide. He's, he's asleep now. He's not paying attention to this part. Or he doesn't care. He's waiting for Sunday. But that's how many of us practically live. Kingdom life is whole life. One of the things that we do is we prioritize these certain things and we say, like before, I even, I kind of tricked you guys a little bit and got you to agree, the crown jewel of kingdom life is sharing the gospel with someone, right? We make certain things way more important and other, so that we can lessen other things and God goes, it's all mine. It's all meant to express the glory of the king. And listen, I am not trying at all to downplay preaching the gospel. What I'm trying to do is to bring everything else up. Many in this room or many in our churches will never experience like the blessing of being able to share the gospel with someone because they devalue kingdom life in these other areas. They think I can just work and be like everybody else. Who cares anyway? They think I, my relationships don't really matter that much, but they're always looking for that opportunity to share Jesus. And they wonder, why is it not coming? When the world sees kingdom life lived out in the mundane areas of life, opportunities for the gospel will follow. P people will see life being lived differently and they'll go, I gotta have what they have. Too many times what people see is us living life just like them, us working just like them, us uh, having relationships with family members just like them. And then we're going, how come no one wants to hear about the gospel? Because we look just like them. When they begin to see the kingdom in the mundane, their eyes will be opened. Their curiosity will be piqued and gospel opportunities will follow. First Peter 2.9 says this, kind of tying these two things together. The kingdom life is an all skate and the kingdom life is whole life. It's for everyone, and it's for every part of life. 1 Peter 2.9 says this about us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're called there a royal priesthood. Most of us don't deal a whole lot with priests. Some of us may have come from a, a Catholic background or uh, more of a high church background where someone actually was called a priest, but most of us don't know what to do with this one a whole lot. So let me ask a question again. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, same question asked three different ways in case one of them helps you a little bit. What is a priest? What does a priest do? What, what is the role of a priest? If, if Peter here, again, Peter wasn't holding a pastor's conference, 
and saying, okay, other pastors, you're a priesthood. Peter was writing to believers dispersed across the known world at the time, and he was telling all of them, you are a royal priesthood. What is a priest? What does he, what does he do? Yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. In the Catholic Church, the priest is an intercessor. The priest is, is almost a stand-in for God. Uh, you've sinned. You come tell me your sin. I'll tell them to the big guy for you kind of idea. And almost that like that fill-in for God at a time. This can be a pretty dangerous role for someone to fill. This, this can uh, kind of almost be an impediment to God, a barrier. Now there's someone I have to go through to get to God. But this is how most people would understand a priest. He's the one who you go talk to him and then he goes to the big guy for you kind of thing. So he almost becomes, in a way, my God. They, they even In the Catholic Church, they call them Father. And I don't mean this at all. If anyone comes to the background, I, I do as well. My family is Catholic. I'm not trying to talk down to them, but, but there's some problems with it. We, we put this person in that place where I have to go through them to get to God, and that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter, Peter himself didn't set up and say, so you come to me, and I'll make sure everything's okay with him. Peter was going, you have direct access. You go. This was the, the ministry of Peter's life. You go straight to Jesus. So according to Peter, what is a priest? What does a priest do? What is the role of a priest? Okay? Uh, certainly, as Peter would have understood it, a priest was, was someone who ministers or who serves. So who comes alongside people to help them do what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 A, a priest is a representative. Not who comes in and says, hey, you know, you come to me. I'll kind of fill in. But a representative of going, if you want to know what God is like, watch my life. A priest is one who reflects God. 2 Corinthians 3 talks about that. We, we reflect the glory of God out to the world. A priest is one who represents God in a community. If you want to know what my God is like, watch my life. This idea of a royal priesthood is people living out kingdom life in such a way where they're way markers. They're, they're, they're the signs on the road that go, the king is that way. You're on the right track. Let me point you in the right direction. Watch my life and see what the king is like. This is the role of a priest, as Peter would have understood it. Not a substitute or a stand-in, but ministering to people by pointing them to the king. I'm here to come alongside and to serve and to minister so that you can see him clearly. Watch any part of my life. And listen, it's a bold statement. It's kind of, it, if it doesn't scare you a little bit, it should. Watch any part of my life and see what the king is like. This is how we're called to approach. This is how we're called to live. And it's a little terrifying. Now you see why we've gone, no, 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 just watch on Sunday mornings. Just watch how I pray before I eat. Don't pay attention to anything else because it's scary. But the priest says, watch any part of my life and you will see what the king is like because my whole life is his. 
And again, Peter doesn't say, so some of you have been called to be priests. You are all a royal priesthood. Another way of, of looking at this. Uh, one of the things that, that we talk about or we're going to you're hear more about is the priesthood of all believers. That this just becomes a phrase that we use. Not the priesthood of the pastorate or the missionaries. The priesthood of every believer. That we all represent the king. Living kingdom life everywhere we live, work, and play. Every sphere of life in my neighborhood, at my job, at the soccer game, that at any point in time, people can look at me and go, that's what Jesus is like. That's my aim. Am I going to get it right every time? No. But that's my aim. Everywhere I live, work, and play, I represent the king. I'm about the king's business. 2 Corinthians 5.18, bringing it to a close. Paul puts it like this. All this is from God. He's just gone through saying, look, those of us that are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old has come, the new has gone, and this beautiful transformation. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, every single believer, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has committed to us, each and every one of us, the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, representatives of the king. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God, Peter, or excuse me, Paul was going, look, God is actually making his appeal to mankind through your life. He doesn't say, therefore, tell people to read their Bibles and hopefully they'll get it. That when people watch my life, what they actually see is God going, I want you, come on. Be reconciled, be made whole with me. Each and every one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. God is making his request known to the world through your life. Citizens of the kingdom, in love with the king, living and loving like the king through the power of the king. It's an all-skate. Lace them up and get out on the rink, and it's a whole life thing. Every waking moment counts for the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if there are parts of our life that we have compartmentalized, And we've said, ah, he doesn't care about this. God, may you just impress on us how much you want to use that part, how you want to transform that part, how you want to bring new life. The old has come, or excuse me, the new has come, the old is gone. God, the yeast of the kingdom working through the entire batch of dough, nothing left as it was before. Would you impress this vision on us, God? May, may, we, may we think about this as we go through the day, as there are those parts where we've kind of slapped your hand and said, no, don't touch that. Or those parts where we've said, this is beneath him, he doesn't care. May our eyes be opened, God. If there are ways that we've devalued our place in the kingdom and we've said, no, that's for the professionals. God, may we receive a call from you afresh that we are all called to be ambassadors of the kingdom, every part of our lives reflecting the king out to the world as though Christ was making his request known through us, be reconciled to the king. 
Help us to view life through this new kingdom lens, I pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen.